So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. I, I, I'm going to look at verses 4 and 5. We're going to talk about them, but I'm not going to read them initially because I want you to see that verses 6 through 10 in James chapter 4 are a unit, okay? And I'm going to explain that in a minute, and I'm, I'm going to explain kind of why you should see them that way and what purpose it, it holds here. So I'm going to read James chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, okay? So uh, if you'd like to stand, we often do that in this service. When we read the Word of God, you can do that. If you'd if you rather would be seated, that's perfectly fine. James chapter 4, and beginning in verse 6, okay? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Father, we worship you this morning. God, you're so glorious and good. Father, you're everything that we need. Father, you satisfy our souls. And God, I pray that you would teach us this morning about humility. Teach us this morning, God, how we can come underneath your grace and how we can receive your mercy and receive your power, God, to be free from sin and to be out of, out of uh, iniquity. Father, we ask that you would you would speak to us about our sin, that you'd bring repentance this morning and faith in the gospel. God, that you would draw, draw us near, draw us near to yourself. Father, I do pray for Addie. I pray that you give her a roommate. I pray, Father, that that would be gospel um, fruitful. I pray for Denise that you would um, just maneuver them together as a team, as a, as a gospel unit, and that they would be encouragement to each other. Father, I pray for the gospel to the nations, Lord, the gospel to Taiwan. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so it's very important for us this morning to get a little context, okay? <clears throat> so do you remember in chapter 3, James talked about sins of speech, okay? So he says, man, if you find yourself speaking words that are tearing people down, words that are unholy, words that are not Christ-like, you've got a heart problem, right? Because if, if we're Christians and we're connected to Christ and we're praising the Lord with our mouth, we shouldn't also be tearing down other people, right? So James 3 was about sins of speech. And then in, in James 4, we talked about conflict. You remember at the beginning of James 4, he talked about why are there quarrels? Why are there, why are there fights among you? Why are you at odds with people? And he talked about that that's because of fleshly desires. We're, we're not going to God with our desires. We're, we're demanding other people do what we want. When people don't do what we want, we get angry. When they don't give us what we want, we get angry. So he talked about sinful desires. And then he finishes that section in verse 4 of chapter 4, okay? And in verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, you adulterous people. Now, I don't think he's saying, hey, I know a bunch of you cheated on your wives. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's using adultery like the Old Testament uses adultery. In other words, when you have strayed away from God, when you've made other things God in your life, you've committed spiritual adultery, all right? And then he says, friendship with the world is enmity toward God. So he tells him in chapter 4, verse 4, you're adulterous people. 
You're at, in, you're at odds with God. You're friends of the world. In other words, you are far away from me. Your hearts are far away from me. And then in verse 5, he says something really interesting. He says in verse 5, he quotes the scripture, says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Okay, now remember I told you last week, that's kind of a hard verse to translate. But here's essentially what it means. God is, God is jealous when you run away from him. Okay, <clears throat> just as I would be jealous to protect the exclusive relationship with my wife. If, if my wife were, were to run away from me, were to, were to be far from me, that, that, I would be jealous of that. I would want to protect the relationship. You know, a lot of times we think of jealousy, it's kind of in a bad context. In fact, in chapter 3, it talked about worldly wisdom, and it said, man, if you've got bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you know, you're, that's not of God, right? So there is a bad jealousy, the kind of jealousy that's like controlling and, and manipulative and suspicious and untrusting. That's a bad kind of jealousy. This kind of jealousy, the kind of jealousy that God has, is protecting the relationship he has with his people, okay? So in the context, we got a people who have strayed away from God, right? They're, they're, they've strayed away from God. They're being adulterous. And God says, I am jealous to bring you back, all right? So the context we're talking about this morning is, how does God bring back people who are far from him, okay? Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe your speech shows that. Maybe your heart shows that. Maybe your conflict and relationships show that you're far from God, okay? Today, he's gonna tell us how, how we come back, all right? Now, notice in, in verse six, okay? So in, in, in James chapter four, verse six, the first thing he says is, is that God gives more grace. It says, but he gives more grace, all right? So, so he's talking to a people that are far from him. He's talking to a people that have disobeyed him. He's talking to a people that have rebelled against him. And then it says, I want you back, right? He's jealous. He wants us back. And then it says, God gives more grace. All right, now what is Grace. Well, grace is God's riches. It's God pouring out his power and his love and his favor and his goodness and his word and his truth. It's God's power to get you out of sin and back to himself. It's God's power to satisfy your soul. That's what God's grace is. It's his riches and power and goodness poured out in our lives. And verse 6 says, hey, God gives more grace. In other words, he gives it freely. What encouragement this morning if you're far from God? Is that God wants you back? He's jealous of you. And not only does he want you back, but God is willing to give you grace. He's willing to pour out his grace in your life. And, and not only grace, but he says, God gives more grace. I thought that was interesting, so I looked up the word more. It means greater. It means uh, uh, more. It means surprising. It means, here, here's my favorite definition, loud. So what he's saying is God's grace is louder than your sin. Isn't that awesome? God's grace is more. It's greater. We sing this song here at Lincoln Avenue that says, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Isn't that beautiful? Grace that is greater than all our sin. And so what God's saying here to rebellious people, to people that are far from him is, look, my grace is more. It's more than your rebellion. It is more than your weakness. My grace is more than your addiction. It's more than your failure. It's greater than your sadness. It's more than your disappointment. It's greater than your conflict. It's greater than your problem or your pain. His grace is more. His grace is greater. Now, the rest of this passage teaches us how do we get that grace. How do we get that grace, right? So if, if, you're, if you're away from God, how do you come back and get his grace? How do you get his transforming, empowering riches into your life? How, how do you get that, right? Well, the first thing James tells us in verse 6 is that if you're prideful, 
you're not going to get it. All right? So you notice what it says. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. And so one of the things we're going to learn all through this this message, this passage, is that if you are prideful, you're not going to receive anything from God. You will not receive his enabling power. You won't receive his transforming grace. You won't get any of that if you're prideful. Okay? And so the rest of this passage is saying this is how you do get it. All right? Have you all been to Crystal Beach Water Park? They've got this huge bucket. If, you, if you've never been, you ought to go just to see the bucket, all right? It's a huge bucket up there, and it fills with water, and it slowly fills up. And when it gets all the way to the top, it starts to rock, right? And then all of a sudden, it dumps, and it pours out, all right? And if, if you're under it, you get it all, right? And so, so really, when you think about God's grace, God, that's the bucket, right? And, and, and what, what James is teaching you is how do you get under that bucket? You know, if I was at the water park, and there's this kid, and and, and, and they're standing on the other side of the park from the bucket over by the slides. And they're on the hot cement and they're doing the dance and they're miserable and they're saying, it's so hot and, and, and my feet are burning and I wish, I, I want to be under the bucket. I, I, I want the bucket to pour out on me, but every time it dumps out, it doesn't dump out on me. Well, you know why? Because you're in the wrong place, right? And a lot of times, that's where you are in your heart. You're in the wrong place in your heart. And James is telling you in this passage, how do you get under the bucket, right? Now, here's how you get under the bucket. Humility, okay? Notice what he says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're a note taker, I'm a note taker. And so this is incredibly helpful for me. This passage has a whole bunch of commands. If you counted each of them, it'd be 12. It's, it's hard for a guy with a small brain like me to fit all those 12 in my mind all the time. And so, so when I wrote them on my whiteboard, this incredibly helped me. What you have here is a very defined structure, okay? So James says, how do you get God's grace, okay? Verse six, you have, you humble yourself and God gives grace, right? So you got a call to humility and you've got a promise of grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, okay? He gives grace to the humble. Then you have 10 commands. And then in verse 10, you have humility again, all right? Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. All right, are you seeing that in the text? So you got verse 6, humble yourself, and then a promise of grace. Humble yourself, you get grace. And then in verse 10, you've got humble yourself, and he exalts you. All right? So you got a sandwich, okay? Humble yourself, he gives grace. Humble yourself, he will exalt you. And then in the middle of that sandwich, you have 10 commands. All right? Let me read those commands to you real quickly. We'll count them here. Ready? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Man, how did I only get seven? Oh, I skipped a verse. Verse seven. I thought, man, there was ten last every time I've read that. All right, start again. Verse seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be wretched. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There's ten that time. All right. So you've got, you've got how, how do you get God's grace? How do you get under the bucket? Okay. Humble yourself and the promise of grace. Ten commands, humble yourself and the promise of exalting you. Now, to help you even further, okay, <clears throat> this helped me further, I was like, how do I summarize those ten commands, though? As I look through them, I really believe you could roughly summarize them with two words, okay? The first word is surrender, and the second word is repentance, okay? I think that cleanse yourself, or I think that submit yourselves to God, uh, resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I think all of those are describing surrender, 
okay? So you got humility, you got surrender, and then the rest of those, cleanse your hands, you, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, be wretched, mourn, weep, be miserable. I think all of those are describing repentance, all right? So hopefully I've helped here by, by taking a whole bunch of commands and summarizing them by how do you get under the bucket? Humility, okay? Humility, surrender, repentance, and then humility again. So humility, surrender, repentance, I believe is a summary of how James is telling you to get under the bucket, all right? Now let's begin to look at those together, okay? So first of all, obviously the big thing in the passage is humility, okay? In fact, if you, if you didn't get anything from today, but that you got to humble yourself, you're going to get lots of good stuff, okay? Because the Bible promises lots of good things to those who humble themselves. Not just in James, actually Everywhere in the Bible. Let me read you a couple of my favorites. They're in Isaiah. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly. Did you hear that? God says, I dwell with the one who is humble. I dwell with the one who is contrite. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, at the end of the verse, it says, But to this one is who I will look, who, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. So the Bible says over and over again, humility is the way to God, right? So if you want God's grace this morning, then humble yourselves. Now, what, is, what does that look like, okay? That's actually a really big topic, and so I want to try to put some handles on it for you, Okay. The first handle I would put on it for you is humility is having a big God and a little me, okay? You know what a lot of our problems is? We got a big me and a little God, okay? Whenever you got a big me and a little God, you've got problems getting to God, okay? You've got problems receiving grace from God, okay? Whenever, whenever me is the, is the operating system of my life. In other words, I'm always thinking about me and I'm always promoting me and I'm always angling for me and I'm always worshiping me and I'm always angry because somebody hurt me, okay? Whenever me keeps coming up over and over again, you're not humble. That's not the way you get to God, okay? Whenever God is the center, God is the focus, whenever, whenever you put God in the center of our lives and it's about God and it's not about me, that's when you're trending toward humility, okay? So number one, and we're going to come back to this one over and over again, that's why I put it first, humility is, is big God and little me, okay? Second of all, humility, humility affirms our desperate need for God. So here, here's a great characteristic of humble people. They know they need God. They, they know that that's really all they need, okay? They know that that is, that is, that is the crucial factor is that I, I am dependent on God, okay? A humble person says, God, man, I'm broke. I'm, I'm, I'm helpless. I'm, I'm destitute without you, okay? But you know what? It's not the kind of, uh, it's not the kind of despairing need for God. Like, like some people would be like, hey, I don't have enough money and I don't have enough of this and so I'm sad and I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And I'm, no, no, no. This is the kind of humility that says, I, I need you, God, and you're all that I need. You know what I found? I found, that pri I found that anxious, worried, stressed out people are normally prideful people. You know why I say that? Because, because prideful people don't come to God. Prideful people try to figure it out themselves. 
Prideful people try to be like, okay, I got to get all this, you know, you got to get in line, and my kids got to get in line, and my husband got to get in line, and everybody's out of line. Ah, you know, get in line, you know, and I got to handle this, and I got to solve this. Okay, you know what humble people do? Humble people go to God. All right, God, this is a mess, but God, you're big enough. Like, I trust you. Like, I'm coming to you. Humble people are driven to prayer. Humble people are driven to be dependent and to be desperate for God. Prideful people say, I can do it myself. I'll do it myself. If you're those people who say, hey, no, what, what can I pray for you about? Oh, nothing. Man, we, we got it under control. Okay, that's pride. That's somebody who thinks they can, they can handle this. A humble person knows I am desperate in need of God, and I need to come to Him. Okay? Thirdly, humility says, or pride says, excuse me, pride says I deserve. Humility says I'm thankful. Okay? Pride says I deserve. Humility says, I'm thankful. A prideful person says, hey, you know what? I, I deserve to be treated this way, certain way, and I deserve for you guys to be in line, and I deserve for, you know, green lights on my way to work, and I deserve a promotion, and I deserve to be comfortable, and I deserve to be at ease. And guess what? Whenever I don't get what I deserve, what happens? At the beginning of chapter 4, I'm mad, right? Like, I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Why? Because I deserve my life to be this way. You know what a humble person says? One person says, I don't deserve anything but hell. And God has been so good. And he's been so gracious. And I'm so thankful for all that he is. And I don't deserve to be, I don't, I don't deserve to be treated better than Jesus was. Have you ever thought about that? Do you deserve to be treated better than Jesus? First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. It says Christ suffered for you, and he left you an example to follow in his steps. In other words, a, a humble person says, All right, Jesus, you suffered, and, and I'm willing to suffer for you as well, because you have given me so much. My heart is full. It's thankful. Pride brags on self. Humility brags on Jesus. Pride is always looking for a way to show off, a way to... To, to display that I'm better, that I'm, 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 above, I'm above, I've arrived. Humility is always looking for a way to brag on God. Humility sees the bigness of God, the glory of God, the holiness of God. Okay? Humility, humility is able to rejoice in the successes of others. That, that's one of those kind of good test ones. Like, like, can you be genuinely happy when other people succeed, when other families succeed, when, when other marriages succeed, when other business people succeed? Can you, can you be genuinely happy for the people at work that you work with when they succeed? Um, that's a sign of humility. A sign of humility is that you can be genuinely interested in others, okay? You, you can genuinely pour yourself out and serve other people. You can care for other people. You can have compassion on other people. You can, you can be put out for the good of other people. Why? Because me is little and God is big, right? And when God is big, you're able to pour yourself out for the needs of others. Humility is willing to forgive. Okay? This is another good test one, okay? You know, prideful people have a hard time forgiving. You know why? Because that dadgum me is a giant, you know? Uh, like, like he's just huge. And, and, and how dare someone come up and kick that great big me in the shins, you know? Like, I don't want to squash you, right? When me is huge. I, I saw this funny video on social media this week where this kind of, uh, this like not very, not very strong, not very big guy, not very athletic guy. He's kind of nerdy, kind of like me. He's in this gym. He's in this gym competition, these huge, I mean, biggest muscle guys I've ever seen. And what he does, they film him, and he walks around, and he, like, bumps into them, you know, these great big guys, you know. And it was funny to see those big guys' reaction, you know. They're like, ah! 
how dare you, you know, run into me. Don't you know who you are? Right? Prideful people have a really hard time forgiving, you know, because, because me's so big. And, and when me is giant, you know, and, and, and somebody offends me, that's a big deal, okay? Humble people, humble people can forgive. You know why? Because Christ is big, right? Because Christ has forgiven us. Because Christ died on the cross. Because I've got a billion sins that I was able to put on the cross and Jesus wiped them away. And now all he asked me to do is forgive somebody a few, right? Like, like humility is able to forgive. Prideful people are easily offended. Prideful people are easy to offend. Why? Again, because me is big and, and, and Christ is small. Humble people are slow to offense. The Bible tells that. Prideful people make a mess of relationships uh, and really a mess of, of, of their families. Uh, they're, they're hard to be around. I was reading this week in, um, in Exodus, the story of the plagues. I was going through that in my morning Bible, Bible reading. And there's this great verse where it talks about how Pharaoh stubbornly, pridefully and stubbornly hardened his heart. And then it says, and all Egypt suffered. You know, I mean, prideful people make everybody around them suffer. All right. So, so what, what are we learning here? We're learning here that God has plenty of grace to give. That bucket, it is full and it's dumping. But the only way to get under it is by humility. Okay. Pride will keep you away from that bucket, from that grace coming down upon you. You guys remember the story in Luke 18 of the, um, the, the Pharisee and the tax gatherer, I think it is. And the Pharisee comes into the temple, and, man, he raises up his hands. He prays out loud, so everybody can hear. And he's like, oh, God, I just thank you that you didn't make me like that sorry sucker over there, you know. And I, I'm not sinned like him, and I'm not a bad guy like him, and I haven't done all the bad things he's done. And, God, I, I give, and I go to church, and I read my Bible, and I, all this stuff. And, and the, the sinner over there in the corner, he won't even look up to God. He just keeps his head down. He says he beats his breast, and he says, he says, you know, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, there's only one of those guys that came out of there justified, and it was not the Pharisee. It was the other guy. You see, humility brings you under the grace of God. It brings you in line where you can receive the grace of God, okay? So are we all clear on humility, all right? So you're far away from God, okay? If you're far away from God, if, you're, if you could be accused of spiritual adultery, friendship with the world, your, your words aren't right, your heart's not right, you're far from God, how do you get back under the grace of God? God's got grace to solve all of that. That's encouraging, right? But how do you get under that grace? Humility, all right? You get under it by humbling yourself. Big view of God, small view of self. Now, let's deal with the rest of these 10, shall we? Okay? Now, again, remember how we're going to deal with them? We're going to deal with them in two categories, surrender and repentance, okay? Let's read the surrender verses first, okay? So verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. All right, we're gonna stop right there. Those I would describe as surrender. Now let's deal with the first one, submit yourselves to God. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid when you hear the word submit, I'm afraid you have this in your mind that it's like, you know, God's making you. You know, God's, God's this tyrant and, and he's, he's got a big stick and he's yelling at you to submit to his authority. And finally you're like, ah, okay, you're bigger than I am and, and, and I guess I have to, okay? Listen, if that's your idea of Christianity, you do not have it, okay? Because that's not Christianity. That's, that's, that is not, now, there is a submitting to God in Christianity. That's the only way back, right? But, but it's not that kind of submitting. In fact, when I look at the Bible, you know what I see? I see a people who delight to go God's way. 
All right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, for, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not a burden. In fact, I, I love Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is an entire chapter in the Bible devoted to God's commands, to God's statutes, to God's laws. And listen to how the psalmist talks about him. When you talk about laws, how do you usually talk about laws, you know? Well, the speed limit's 65 here. I don't know why we can't drive 90, right? Or, you know, I, I got to pay these taxes. I don't know why I got, right? We hate laws, right? Listen to how, the, listen to how the, 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 the psalmist describes the law of God. Ready? Psalm 119, verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Um, verse uh, 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Verse 47. For I find delight in your commandments, which I love. What's the psalmist saying? Man, he's like, uh, man, God's commandments are wonderful. They're beautiful. They're life to me. That's what it means to submit to God. You see, if, you, if you've not been submitting to God, you've been going your own way. You've been, you've been going after your own self, all right? And what it means to, to surrender is to get back in line under God's authority. Say, God, your way's best. My way leads to misery. Your way leads to delight. And I love your way. You see, whenever you're in a relationship a love relationship, submitting is not bad. Most of the time when we're in the city, if I'm there with my wife, I say, honey, where do you want to eat? You know, where do you want to eat? You know, I, I want to know your heart. I, I want to make you happy. Where do you want to eat? And she always says, I don't care. And what she means by I don't care is she, she means I want you to list a whole bunch of places and I'll tell you which one of those, okay? That's what she really means. And so that's what I do. I list a whole bunch of places. And then, then she's like, you know, yeah, Cheesecake Factory. And I'm like, all right, let's go to the Cheesecake Factory, you know? And, and, and I, don't, I don't mean that as, oh, you got to pick and I would have picked this other place. No, like I'll, I want your heart. Like I want to make you happy. You know, that, that's what it means to submit to God is say, God, I want your way. God, your, your way delights me. You know, just picture if Le, LeBron James, if he's given basketball lessons over at our Kansas campus and you got picked to be, you know, to get basketball le lessons from one of the greatest basketball players ever. I hope you wouldn't go over there and he'd say, all right, and you sit up and you shoot like this and you'd be like, no, that's wrong. You know, I mean, that'd be kind of silly for you to be like, no, that's wrong, you know. You're a famous NBA player, and I'm nobody, but you're wrong. You know, that, that's what a lot of people do to God. That's what, that's what people do to his word. That, that, that's big in our culture right now. It's people looking at the word of God and saying, no, that's not wrong. That's not right. Man, who are you to tell God he's not right? See, that, that, that's, that's friendship with the world. That's idolatry. That's adulterous. And if you've been living that way, if your heart has not been right, if your words have not been right, if you've been far away from God, then one of the ways back to get under the bucket, you've got to humble yourself and you've got to submit to God. And it should be a joyful thing for you to do that. It should be a delight for you to say, God, your way is right, and I want your way. And you know what I've found? It is so refreshing to submit to God. How many, how many times have you been in the situation? This, this happens to me, particularly when like, I'm at odds with somebody, odds with my wife or whatever, and, and I know my heart is wrong. And it, is that a happy time? That is not a happy time. Man, it's miserable. You know, or maybe you know you sinned. Maybe you know you said you something you shouldn't have said or you did something you shouldn't have done, and you're in sin. That is a miserable thing. And you know what happens whenever I finally submit to God, whenever I finally say, God, my way's junk. Your way is right. I want your way. I'll do what you say. You know what happens? I am always refreshed. I'm, even if it's I got to go do something hard, I'm still refreshed. I mean, it is a refreshing thing to submit yourself to God. All right, next command. 
Resist the devil, right? These are all under surrender. Surrender to God, okay? Resist, submit to God. Resist the devil, right? I, I actually think, I'm not going to spend much time here because I actually think when you submit to God, you do resist the devil. You know, when you're going your own way, you're following the devil. When you got bitter jealousy or selfish ambition or, or you're, you're all angry and, and, and your words are, man, you're, you're going the devil's way. And so when you finally submit to God, you're actually resisting the devil. Let's jump to the next one. Draw near to God. That's beautiful, isn't it? You see that there? Draw near to God. Now, what does it mean to draw near? Well, if I draw near to Tom right now, what it means is I get closer to him, right? That's what it means to draw near to somebody. You get closer to him. Well, how do you get closer to God? Because God's everywhere, isn't he? God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. In fact, Psalm 139, it's kind of a fun psalm. It ends with, where are you going to go to hide from God? You know, some people try to hide from God. Where are you going to go? You know, the bottom of the ocean, you think he can't swim, you know? You're going to go to the top of the mountain, you think he can't climb? You know, you can't get away from God. He's everywhere. So how do you draw near to him? Well, it's talking about how do you draw near spiritually? You see, a lot of times we're running from God. And, and to come back and get under the bucket, you know what we need to do? We need to draw near. We need to humble ourselves and submit to his way. And then we need to draw near to him. Here's how I would describe drawing near. I would describe it as, as coming into the presence of the Lord in the sense of believing he is who he says he is. Believing his promises. Believing his truth. Believing his word. And then, and then holding yourself there. I think, I think this is the hardest thing for Americans is for us to attentively hold ourselves in his presence. Man, I fight that. I, I honestly think I, I, I had an easier time of that 20 years ago than I do today. And I think our phones and our computers and all, I think they've made us distracted. They've shortened our attention span. But what it means to draw near to God, when you, when you see it in the scriptures, is somebody comes near believing, believing he is who he says he's, believing he's our father, believing his promises, and then we hold ourselves there. And, and we listen, and, and we're in his word, and we soak up his truth, and we respond to him in praise, and, and we're, we're interacting with God. Isn't that beautiful? That's surrender, isn't it? You're far from God, you humble yourself. God, I've been big, and I've put you small. That's wrong. God, you're huge. You're glorious. I'm small. I'm humbling myself, and I'm submitting to you, and I'm resisting the devil, and, and I'm drawing near to hold myself, to hold my attention on you. And now the second category. Remember, what, what do we have? We got a sandwich here. Humility, humility, what's in the middle? Surrender and repentance, all right? We just dealt with surrender. Now let's deal with repentance. So, so what verses are, are we talking about here? Well, look at the end of verse uh, 8. That's where they start. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's, well, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. All right, I would, I would classify all of those as repentance, all right? The first two, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Here's what I think those mean. I think that means you've got sins of deed, your actions, and you have sins of heart, and you need to stop both those, okay? If you're sinning with your words, if you're sinning with your hands, if you're sinning with your actions, and if you're also sinning with your thoughts and your heart, you need to stop that. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts. In other words, turn away from your sin. And then notice what he says next. Notice what he says next. He, he, says, he says you, you need to be wretched. You need to, you need to be miserable. You need, you need to mourn. You, you, need to, you need to weep. All right, do you see all of those things there? Isn't that, isn't that strange to some degree? It's strange because usually the Bible tells us to rejoice. How many times have I stood right here in this pulpit and read verses to you about how you ought to be joyful in the Lord, how you ought to be happy in the Lord, how you ought to rejoice in the Lord? 
Okay? But why here does James say you ought to be miserable? You, you ought to be wretched. You, you ought to weep. You ought to mourn. Why does he tell us that? Because no believer can be happy in their sin. Okay? If you got sin in your heart, if, you, if, you've been, if you've been living in sin, you cannot be happy there. You, you can't stay there. You can't stay there and be happy. No believer can ultimately be joyful in their sin. Now, does sin have a momentary pleasure? Yes, probably. Some sins do. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, when it's talking about Moses, it says, uh, um, choosing, this is verse 25 of Hebrews 11, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so, absolutely, there is a fleeting pleasure of sin. But no believer can stay in sin and be happy. God will not let you. It's miserable. It's miserable. Can you imagine if somebody put a, a vest on you and it, it locked in the back? And in that vest was C4 and dynamite. And it had one of those little counters, those red counters, you know, set counting backwards. Can you imagine a guy that would sit down in his chair and watch the Super Bowl, happy as can be with that vest on because it had Twinkies in the pocket. You know, it's like, hey, this is a great vest. It got Twinkies. Yeah, it's also going to blow you to smithereens, all right? Like that, that's sin. Sin might have a momentary pleasure, but it's going to kill you. It's going to drag you to hell. You cannot stay in your sin. And so what does is, what is James say to do? He says you ought to mourn, you ought to weep, you ought to be this deep seriousness, this gravity that I cannot stay in my sin. Please, if you're in sin today, if you've got sin in your heart, if you have sin coming out of your mouth, if you've got sin with your hands and you know it and you've been convicted, do not leave here without dealing with that with God. Like you should be broken over that. You should not be able to walk out this door and say, hey, what's for lunch? Hey, let's, let's get ready for the Super Bowl. Hey, I think I'm going to go fishing today. It's great. Man, you got sin in your life. It's going to kill you. You should be wretched and miserable and weep and mourn because of sin. But again, here, here's where pride comes in again. Pride and humility. You know, you know what happens with prideful people? They have a really hard time seeing their sin, right? Because me is huge and they're promoting me. And they're always, they're always glorifying me. And so it's, it's, they're really hard-pressed to see their sin. They're always thinking about, well, it's what I deserve. In fact, prideful people are incredibly good at justifying their sin. They're incredibly good at minimizing their own sin and maximizing other people's sin. And prideful people do that automatically. Well, you know, I do this, but you do that. And you do that and that and that and that. And I can't believe you do that to me. That's pride. That's not humbling yourself. All right, we're at the bottom of our sandwich, right? So how, how do you get under the grace of God? How do you get under the bucket? You humble yourself, you surrender, you repent, and now look verse 10. We're right back to humility. Ready? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. All right, did, did you guys hear what I just said? What the Bible just said? The Bible just said, he, God of the universe, will exalt you. And here's where pride and humility come in again. Okay, if, if you're prideful, if you have a huge view of me, that's, that, that right there is not very exciting. I don't think you'll be grabbed by it. I don't think you'll be excited about it. You, you know why? 
Because I think you'll be much more excited about outselling your coworkers, about winning the popularity contest on Instagram. I think you'll be much more excited about buying something that will shout, hey, hey, guys, I'm successful. Hey, 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 I'm vibrant. Hey, 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 I'm, I'm strong. I'm important. I'm beautiful. Look at me. Admire me. In fact, I think you'll be more excited about a pair of shoes, a haircut, a truck, or an office than you will that verse if you have a big view of me. My friends, if you've got a big view of God, when you read verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he, who is he? My friends, he is the glorious God of the universe, the great I am who there is nothing outside of him, nothing before him, nothing after him. Everything that exists, exists because he willed it into existence. He sustains it all. He rules over all of it. He spoke and it came into being. He is glorious in every way. He is love and beauty and wisdom and strength and power and justice and creativity to the highest degree imaginable. He is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And he promises in that verse, if you will humble yourself, he'll exalt you. Can you imagine that? God exalting. That's better than shoes. That's, that's better than Instagram. That's, that's better than a position at work. It's better. It's better. Humble yourselves and he will exalt you. By the way, that is exactly how Jesus lived. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, listen to what Jesus did. He did not count equality with, with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's exactly what Jesus did. What did God do? Next verse. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's exactly the way Jesus lived. Are you far from God today? If you're far from him, man, get under the bucket. How do you get under the bucket? Man, you got to humble yourself. That great big me, tear that sucker down and get a big God. Humble yourself. Surrender to him. Submit yourself to him. Draw near to him. Hold yourself in his presence. And deal with your sin. Man, deal with your sin, your outward sin, your inside sin. Man, until that gets done, you should be broken. You should be miserable. You should weep and mourn. But once it's done, oh man, you should stand under the bucket and drink it up. Drink it up. There's more grace than you would ever need. God's got more grace. Let's get it. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to drink up your grace. God, to, to humble ourselves and surrender and repent and be, be underneath, God, the, the outpouring of your grace.
God, send us your riches. God, send us your, your wisdom. God, send us your power, God, to be out of sin. God, I pray that we would repent today of, of anger, of, of lust, of greed, of selfishness, of complacency, of idolatry. God, Lord, if those are in our life, God, make us miserable today that we might be driven to humble ourselves and to receive your grace. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? Let's sing together.